Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I just thought when you were a kid, I thought, well, this is what happens in life. You um, you pick a sport, you work really hard and you go to the Olympics. Ta-da! Like, end of. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and episode 77 with Anna McNuff. Anna is an adventurer, speaker and self-proclaimed mischief maker. She's run the length of Britain in bare feet, cycled the 50 states of the US and run the length of New Zealand amongst many other achievements. As you'll see, Anna's energy is infectious. She was raised by two Olympians, which explains quite a lot, and we sit down and explore how this has shaped her outlook and forged her never-quit attitude. In this episode, Anna is honest about how hard it is to follow your dreams and how these things take time. She also talks about what adventure means to her, the sacrifice it takes, and how having a baby changes all of that. Before we begin, I'd like to once again point you towards the Martin Moran Foundation, our charitable partner for this season. They're an incredible organisation that enable people to get out in the hills, the mountains, and to live a life full of adventure. It's an initiative very close to my heart, and I'd be really grateful if you were able to support their work. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, or maybe if you're not, please can you leave us an honest review and a rating on iTunes, if that's where you're listening. Those reviews help us with visibility, which brings more people into the adventure fold. And finally, the podcast is produced alongside Sidetrack Magazine, our spiritual sister publication. So if you want a written and photographic adventure fix, then head to Sidetrack.com. Okay, over to Anna McNuff. We'll start in the logical place. If you could, I guess, just introduce yourself and tell me a bit about who you are. Uh, I am Anna McNuff. I am an adventurer. I'm an author. Uh, I am a mum. I'm sure we'll talk about that one. And I also put on my bio that I'm a self-confessed mischief maker. I think that's very important to be that as an adult. (laughs) So go on. How do we get from, you know, newborn infant to where you are now? (laughs) Oh my goodness, that is a long old road, isn't it? Do you know what? When I was a kid, um, I I was outdoors a lot. Like I have a lot of you know, smells are really strong memory, isn't it? And my smells of my childhood. That sounds like a book or a, or a film. Smells of my childhood by Anna McNuff. Um, the smells of my childhood are like the River Thames because uh, I was brought up a lot around like the local canoe club, rowing club, and then also grass. And I used to play loads of football, so muddy, smelly grass on a Saturday and Sunday, and coming back and just caking the bathroom with mud. That is my childhood, but it was more sports than adventure. And and that's because I've got two Olympian parents. So that kind of happens when you've got two specimens of superhumanity as your parents. 
And um, so I did loads of like elite sport. Um, but I remember when I was like 15, they used to just drag me on sometimes on Sundays into walks into Surrey Hills. And I just used to think it was so boring. <laughs> I just used to say, why don't I want to look at trees, mum? What is this? Um, but so it wasn't until I had a career as this, I'm speeding up life, but I had a corporate career. I had a career as an elite rower. Then I, I didn't make the Olympics. I had a career in the corporate world. And then when I was 28, I went on my first big adventure. So, um, yeah, it took me a long time to get to doing what I do now, which um, which feels amazing because I'm definitely where I want to be. Yeah, that's very interesting. So at risk of turning this into a motivational speech or a TED talk, yeah. what was the what was life like as an aspirant Olympian? Oh, do you know what? Really, it was it was amazing in one sense because it's all I'd ever wanted to be since I was a kid. Like I think, you know, my parents never said to they never put pressure on me, but the people around you are your role models, right? And so you have two parents that have gone to the Olympics. There's a bronze medal on like our living room wall, my dad's medal. Um, my godfather's got like a gold medal. And so I just thought when you're a kid, I thought, well, that is what happens in life. You um, you pick a sport, you work really hard and you go to the Olympics. Ta-da! Like end off. Right. And so, of course, when you're a kid, like and and that, and those dreams are so important. Um, and then so I found my sport rowing when I was about 16 and I trained super, super hard. But I didn't quite make the cut for the 2008 Olympics. And that was the biggest, probably the biggest life lesson I'd learnt so far in my life, because it just didn't fit with what I believed, which was, well, if you work really hard for something, you'll always get it and it always works out. Or. You, you know, if you've if you've gone for something and you've gone really, you know, like laser focused on it, you just have to keep going. You can't stop. You can't change your mind. And at that point, when I had failed to make the Olympics, I just thought, well, I can either carry on for another four years and risk the same thing happening again for London, give up another four years of my life, or I can sort of take stock, step back and question, is this actually what I want to be doing? Is this I've just kind of taken my parents pathway and put myself in it? Um and I just realized that I just love travel and I love like I've just got such a wanderlust more than my parents did. And I think I was trying to do international rowing so that I could see the world. But I was only seeing it by rowing backwards down two kilometer lakes. So, so and you basically get off the plane, you row backwards and then hooray and then you have a party and then you go home. And so I wasn't really seeing the world. So I thought and you only get like three weeks off a year when you're an elite rower. Um, and so I thought, I don't think this is the life for me. I think there's something else. But I can take the kind of discipline and the training and the love I have of pushing my body and that amazing, I just love the sick burn and the pain you get in your legs and your arms when you just push yourself. And I can see if I can bring that into travel and adventure. Um, and that's what I did. So, yeah. With a brief stint, well, maybe not brief, in corporate. Oh, what? yeah, it wasn't that brief. Well, because you can imagine. So I'm, I'm 20, what, 23 when I gave up rowing. And um, and I, I I just thought, what on earth do I do now? You know, everything, I'd, I'd never taken any work experience because I was always training. Um, I, I just had nothing on a CV. And I just did what I thought I was supposed to do and what everyone else does. And I just thought, well, I live in London. I'll go and get a on a graduate scheme and I'll earn lots of money and um actually they didn't give me very much money but you know I just thought that's so I'll eventually climb that greasy pole um and so I, I think it took me yeah, five years of sitting in a corporate job before I sat at my desk one day and I was trying to line up you know powerpoint boxes in a powerpoint presentation and they just won't line up 
And I think I'd spent about 30 minutes trying to get this blimmin' box to like snap to grid or whatever the expression is. And I was ready to throw my laptop out the window and I just caught sight of myself and thought, is this my life? And realized that I didn't want to be sat there in five years time. Therefore, why was I sat there at that point? And that was it. Went home, got a map out, decided to go on an adventure. Where did you go? Um, I eventually, at first I was like, I'm going to cycle around the world because I'd read Mark Beaumont's cycle touring books. Um, and then I realized I was a bit terrified and I was also terrified about telling my mum because she is like, she's quite, um, she's very good at catastrophizing. And, uh, and I, and I felt as well, like I had to, it's so weird, isn't it? Looking back, it's ridiculous. But at the time I felt like I had to come up with an adventure idea that was going to be palatable, at least like on the outer limits of my mum's comfort zone of like, she could understand and wasn't going to worry every night that I was going to get murdered or attacked or whatever mums think. Um, and that was because I felt like I had every opportunity in life. You know, I'd, I'd gone to university. I come from a really nice family and I felt like I was just saying to my parents, thanks for all of that, but I just want to go and ride my bike and sleep in bushes. Um, you know, off I go. So, uh, yeah, I went to cycle a bike through every state of America because I was under the illusion that America was safe and <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Crazy what we think when we're kids. So we could do hours of like, you know, the Wikipedia journey through everything you've ever done, but we'll probably yeah. have to skip through some of it. But what was cycling through every state in America like? Oh, it was just, it's probably the most fun of all the adventures I've done because going from, well, first of all, I was really proud of myself that I'd actually got myself to the start line but to, to lift myself out of, I was in a bit of a rut. And so I'd lifted myself out of that and I had so many reasons not to go. And so, you know, mortgage responsibilities, all of that, I had a good job by everyone else's standards except my own. And so to then get myself at the start line in Alaska and go, I've put myself here. You know, no one's told me to do this. I've got myself here. I'd work seven days a week to, to save up. I've worked in bike shops at weekends. And that felt amazing. And then the freedom, I just couldn't believe that I could just cycle all day. And then I, I was seeing everything I was seeing was new. And, and you know, trying to find wild camp spots was really exciting. And just the the feeling of freedom of being on that bike was just amazing. So, um, and America itself blew my mind. I, I think. I went because I thought I knew what America was like, but I had a suspicion it wasn't. And I think a lot of us think America is just like the UK, except bigger. Um, although, and it's just so diverse, like wildlife, attitudes, culture, religion. It's just, it's it's mind blowing. It's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy place. And I loved it. Was it all safe and happy? And um, Do you know what? The only thing I, I mean... It would be nice if not so many people had the gurns. Um, that's a bit terrifying at times. But I have to say, as a lone female on a pink bicycle with a British accent, people could not have been nicer. Like a red carpet might as well have been rolled out for me. I never, ever felt unsafe um, in the presence of a person. Um, the only times I ever felt unsafe was on roads with big trucks, no hard shoulders, you know, just suddenly disappear or whatever. And in the um, in the southeast, especially, there's a lot of there's not um, there's not so many interstates. So everyone ends up on those fast kind of what we'd call a road roads uh, with no hard shoulder. And you're on there with big trucks who aren't expecting you because <laughs> not not many people do long distance bike journeys comparative to the number of people that have cars in America. So they're just not expecting to see you. And so I found the traffic side of things a bit more terrifying. But that was probably only, I probably had a few a few close calls, but I'd say 98% of it was 
safe, like amazing experience. I felt completely safe. Yeah. And did you get out of it what you thought you would? This is a very good question, Matt. That's a really good question. Did I get, um, what's interesting is I left not knowing where it was going to lead me, but I couldn't, I couldn't like, I don't know if you have this, when you, when you have this feeling, I think of it like a heart compass, right? It like ticks into place, it ticks north and you go, that is it. That is the thing I'm supposed to be doing. And you can't explain why, and you don't know where it's going to lead you. And on that, I just felt like I wanted to do something different with life. I wanted to, and without the risk of sounding cheesy, I felt like there was more, you know, and I just felt like I wasn't being like, I, I wasn't like, I hadn't been allowed to like expand enough, if that makes sense. <laughs> Obviously I ate a lot of fried food, so I expanded a little bit in America. But, um, um, and that I definitely came back. And if before the journey, my my horizons were kind of, you know, so big, like just, just, just and they just went bam exploded and then being back in normal life was just bizarre because suddenly you know your laptop crashing or whatever or um having to go to the post office isn't an issue when you've had issues like you know have I got food have I got water I'm gonna make it to this next town um and all these logistical things so I definitely got out of it what I wanted to and some more and it took my life in a whole new direction so that was a bonus did you struggle coming home Yes, because, and you're, I mean, I don't know whether you get this when you come back from your expeditions, but um, it's like, the, it's like you, you think everything's changed back home and then you get home and it's like, you've just dropped yourself back in. Everything's the same, nothing's changed. And it might've changed maybe, you know, little, little bits have changed. But I remember I was walking down Twickenham High Street when I got home and I thought, this is so bizarre. I know that when I get around this corner, there's a Johnson's Shoes on the right-hand side. And I realized that for the past seven months when I was in America I hadn't known what was literally I hadn't known what was around the corner and so then to go back and know where everything is in one in one way it's really snuggly like a snuggly blanket it's very familiar but it it's not as you don't get that kind of high octane like highs and lows and the the sort of the the uncertainty that comes with an adventure so it is weird and and no one else can really understand what you've experienced and what you've been through so you get the questions of like how was your trip how was your holiday because <laughs> how's your holiday and uh and you you can't explain it to them it's like it's like the adventure when you have a really good adventure it's not just something that can be talked about in like even an hour it kind of just weaves itself like into every fiber of who you are as a person and then you go on in life with this new level of confidence that you've got from that adventure so um yeah, it is really hard coming back because it's a quite a lonely thing because you've you've changed and everything else hasn't. Yeah, and I'm not trying to make this negative. I'm, you know, I'm interested in the honest answer, but you talk about it becoming everything you are and it's more than just, oh, I did this thing. You know, it becomes yeah. almost everything. Was well, it becomes that... a mirror, I think. Like, that's what I find anyway. It, 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 the adventure for me is like, it's just you learn more about yourself because it's like reflected back at you. You go, oh, that's weird. I've, I've, I've noticed these routines because there's time and space to notice that. Like I discovered I'm actually a closet introvert, which <laughs> you, I, I, would, I, I just didn't realise. I was like, that makes so much sense now. And so, I'm sorry, I'm like batting around all over the place here, but did you- No, I love it. You're asking great questions, Matt. This is brilliant. <laughs> this is so much better than normal questions. <laughs> well, no, it just, a lot of it resonates with me. And I, you know- well, maybe this is a good angle to go down. I find it quite lonely because 
you come back and it's no reflection, no bad reflection of um, the people that I spend a lot of time with at home, etc. But it's hard to understand or really relate and empathize. And, mm. you know, when you do then talk to somebody who gets it, you kind of want to go, hey, look, me too. I, I, I've experienced that as well. Um, yeah. But I mean, did you come home and think, oh, well, that's it. I'm going to be a professional adventurer and that's going to be really easy and I'm just going to write no, loads of books. No, no, no. If you'd have spoken to me in the, in the six months after the adventure, I was like, God, I don't want to be in a... No, no desire to be a professional adventurer. Uh, that sounds really stressful to me. Um, no, and I decided what I was going to do is I think I lasted another five months in my um, corporate job because they actually gave me a sabbatical, which is ridiculous. They gave me a sabbatical to go on my adventure. And um, I lasted five months and then I decided I'd do contract work because I thought... I was getting really annoyed that all these people around me were getting paid more than me to do the same job. So I thought, if you can't beat them, join them. So um, I basically then started doing contract work, which means that you get much better pay, but obviously you don't get sick pay and all of that. And I thought, right, I'll do contract work for like six months and then I'll adventure for six months and I'll repeat that for the rest of my life. But the reality of that is what happens is the more you actually give yourself a taste of what you really love to do and when you feel like an awesome person like a version of yourself like the best version of yourself then actually going back into a space which doesn't fit with you becomes more and more uncomfortable um and so it actually took me I think it was till the next adventure that I came home and I I went oh I think I need to work out how to drop the corporate stuff because it's it's not me it's just not for me and I'm terrible at it as well because, yeah, I'm just, it's its not the place for me to be. So what was the strategy when you dropped it for making a career and a living? It took me six years, Matt, six years of uh, the strat. Well, was there a strategy? The strategy was make enough money so that I can eat and live. Um, I moved out of London, moved in with my boyfriend, Jamie in Gloucester. So that cut my cost massively. We lived in a room in his friend's house and he paid the rent, which was 300 pounds a month. So I was living rent free. Um, I didn't have any money, um, but I was so happy. Um, and then basically what I was doing was I took contract work. I took another contract and then and then the idea was to start dropping it down. So then I take contract work for three days a week and write for two days of the week. And then I, I dropped it down, down two days, one day. And I ended up doing contract work in a cycling company, which felt a bit more adventurous. And then eventually I was down to doing one day a week of contract work, uh, marketing work. And then um, I, at that point, all the other stuff, like the speaking, the writing, the brand stuff, it all started to come up, which took yeah, close to six years to get to a point where I realized I was only holding on to that one day of contract work a week because I was, I was frightened. I didn't actually need it financially anymore. I just couldn't believe that I was going to let it go. And um, I think that was like 2017. So, yeah. How much of it was luck and how much of it was skill that it worked? Oh, that's a good question. I think, I don't think it's, I don't know. I don't know about skill. Um, I wouldn't describe myself as skilled in anything, but I do think there's a thing about energy. If you put energy out into the universe, it comes back. That's what I believe. And so I think sometimes things appear as luck, but actually you've spent a long time grafting and saying to yourself, I want this to work and putting energy in that direction. And so what, what happened when I was on one of my adventures in South America, I was cycling in South America. And I remember I was six weeks from the end. Again, I was coming back to a below zero bank balance, stuff on my credit card. And I had all these adventure stories and I'd written, I'd written a book, but I hadn't released it yet. 
Um, but I was coming back to no job, no income, going to be back in my parents. And I remember calling my mum and crying down the phone at her and doing that. You know, when you cry and you're really like, <laughs> like that, like really snotty. Like, and I was like, oh, this is a failure, mum. I was like, it's not working. It's not working. And I was just so tired of like trying, trying, trying. And then mum, my mum said the sweetest thing. She said, she calls me Petal, right? I'm going to say it. She goes like, oh, Petal. She said, have you ever thought that you are successful? You're just not getting paid for it yet. And I thought, do you know what? That's that's potentially true. And then sure enough, it was basically, it took a year from that point. I managed to scrabble through, but everything just kicked off. The book was launched. I started getting speaking gigs. So all the energy that I put in for the years before that suddenly just came to fruition. So um, there was some luck in there, I'm sure of it. But I do just think it's about more about the energy that you put out there and the decisions you make and where you want to spend your time. And you'll get there eventually. It just takes a lot longer, always. Yeah. And so something I think about a lot is would you, not would you recommend this, but there aren't many seats at the table doing what you do, right? What do people do if they want it to? No, but I have learned that everyone's, I'm going to use your, your metaphor there, everyone's seat looks different when they are sat at the table. It's like the knights of the, the round table. Like everyone's got a different sword. That sounds a bit dodged, doesn't it? But um, I, the more I went on in the adventure world, the more I realized everyone does it in a different way. So I make my living through books, speaking, and a tiny bit of brand work. But I know others, like, you know, you've got Al Humphreys, Dave Cornthwaite, Leon McCarran, all those people were doing the same thing around my around the time as me. And they I was looking up to them and they do it through some through filmmaking. You know, there's um, Al does a lot of book stuff, but every uh, um, Leon does a load of journalism. So everyone has their different way of doing it. And that's what I think is cool. And I think if you're would I, I would definitely recommend forging your own path. But I would also say, don't be thinking it has to be one thing. It has to look like that person who does it that way. Because actually you'll realize that there are things that you enjoy doing and things that will pay the bills. And then it's just a balance of finding those two things. What can I do? What actually gets me decent money for my time? And then bring the two together. But that takes time as well. Um, but yeah, I'm so grateful. I just, I can't imagine doing anything else. And I can't, uh, and if you told me I was going to do this when I was a kid, I'd just, I'd have said, what? What even is that? <laughs> What's <Yeah>. Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, don't. As tempting as it is to go and talk about that, I sort of borderline refuse. So, well, one thing I am interested in to just jump around all of the topics is when you were talking about people who you looked up to and people who were doing it at the same time, you mentioned three blokes. Um, I did, didn't I? I know, but that's the reality of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure you've got some views on it all. And did you find it, I mean, was it easier, harder, better, or just different as a woman? Uh, do you know what? I didn't find it harder. Um, and I think my, how do I say this? So I think my sort of rise in um, getting to the point where I wanted to be actually coincided with the whole movement of we need more women. So quite often I was given opportunities because the last three years of the conference, they'd had male adventurers and they wanted a female. And so actually I found that I was given more opportunities because it was more of a known issue that it was a male dominated place, um, world. Um, and personally, it, it never bothered me because... Um, I think it's, I think a lot of people need those role models and it's important to have those role models. But I grew up with two brothers. So 
And I grew up going, well, whatever they do, I do it as well. So when I saw blokes doing something, I didn't, it, it didn't occur to me that a woman wouldn't do it. So, um, and I think one of the biggest compliments that someone gave me about my first book was they said, I, I love the way you write about your adventures because it, it, you, you do the adventures and it just so, you just so happen to be a woman. It's not, it's not about, you know, I'm not making a point of it because, and I think that's the best way to change things is just to, to do it, you know, less chat, more doing, more doing. Um, so it didn't bother me, but it has changed so much in the last few years. I mean, the, the feet, you know, we're, we're still a long way off, but, um, but I think there are a lot more prominent female adventurers, certainly in the kind of mid-level um, space, you know, not like the Bear Grylls, Ben Fogel, again, look at me, naming men. But that's it. So I think we're a way off the TV world embracing the female adventurer. Um, and I think that's because women bring a, a different side to adventure that's not I'm going to you know, drink my own wee and cut my arm off. And that makes quite good telly sometimes. So. Oh, but that's interesting. I don't know how long you want to linger here, but women bring a different side to it. It's a really interesting point. Well, I, I think that. Well, I think there's a lot more. Um, uh, uh, well, I would say openness with emotion, I would say. Um, I would say that perhaps there's a lot more. This And, and this is such a sweeping generalisation. This is not all women, of course. Um, there's a different way of communicating. That um, There can be a more kind of a collective. Like I say, sometimes my, the best people who follow me are women because they will tell everyone uh, about what they like and what they're doing. And suddenly you tell one woman and poof, 20 of her friends know. Whereas a man might sit on it and kind of, you know, um, so I think there's a different style of communication. I think there's more emotional openness um, and perhaps I'm more willing to be vulnerable. Um, so I think the stories would be different. Um, that's what I think anyway at the moment. But that's not to say there aren't men that are like that, but they're not the men that we've seen on telly doing adventure as far as I can see. Yeah. And that, oh God, I didn't mean to do this today, but that then <laughs> brings up, it brings up a whole new thing about authenticity because the whole telly world is very different to the real world, I would argue. Oh, it does my nut. It does my nut. And oh, I'm going to go off on one now on this one. But yes, it does my nut when someone's doing a really hard adventure and there's not a whiff of, like, breaking or, you know, reaching that rock bottom. There's, you know, or, or every time they just grit their teeth and get on with it. And I'm like, I have melted into tears so many times. And it's not about crying because some people don't cry, but it's about acknowledging that the thing you're trying to do is sometimes bigger than you. And you almost have to hit to hit a point where you submit to it and then you come back round. You're not always muscling through. You can't beat nature. You know, you can't like nature's going to whip your ass like you just. So and, and I think I think that's an important message for the way the planet's going as well. I'm going off on that one. But, you know, what we see of adventure quite often is us conquering things and 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 being the fastest, the furthest rather than sort of co coexisting with nature and and understanding that you're fragile and it's fragile and how can we both be together that's what i think anyway yeah well i know that's interesting on the fastest you know first fastest longest coldest brightest um <laughs> that's on the it. Stick. yeah world but... world first world first my name of a person named anna yeah on a pogo stick but how do you balance that because as a professional you know it's probably fairly clear that there's a it's a Venn diagram isn't it of this is what I want to do with my life and this is what's good for my career and the sweet spot is probably the crossover yeah and also yeah and also you know I think if you are the kind of person that likes to break records then that's then that you know like you say about brand that's where you need to go if that's your brand 
then you always have to be furthest fastest. I think my, the point there was just about it'd be nice to see a range, more range of stuff. Um, but yeah, you're right. There is a there is a sweet spot. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm still trying to work it out. Uh, you know, years on trying to still work out why is it that people follow me and what is it exactly that they like about it and um and I don't know that you can almost uh, you can't get too clinical with it and I think the more time goes on like you mentioned authenticity I just keep trying to be more and more myself and trying to find the confidence to be more and more myself and just to strip back strip back strip back you know I'm not talking like the self you are with your husband on the sofa you know in the evenings but like um just being being less afraid to offend people or say things that aren't gonna make you look in a good light or um um and just yeah be more yourself so seems to be working so we'll... i'm i'm going there accidentally and maybe we'll get on yeah. to some more interesting stuff in a sec but that's the world of social media you know i epitomize i mean i am yes. heavily tattooed bearded white bloke who yeah. feels like i need to look heroic and talented on the internet so that people will like and hire me but yeah, you know, I'm not all the time vulnerable and scared and insecure and yeah. So I always scroll down my um, Instagram grid and I don't post much. Like I don't think I've even hit like a thousand posts yet. Like I think I'm like eight. I don't know whatever I am. But I don't post very often because I always post when I feel like I've got something to say or like a point to make or I'm compelled because something's so awesome and I want to share it. But I always scroll down my grid and I go, is this an accurate representation of my life? And if it's not, then I make sure the next time I'm feeling something that I, I post it. So I'm normally sharing. Yeah, I mean, I'm planning a post soon about how unbelievably broken I am after seven months of no sleep. Um, uh, because I I think that's a, that's an important one to share um, about parenthood and the realities of it. Um, but yes, I do agree. I think there is a constant battle on social media and I think each of us just has a responsibility to try and be as honest as we can. That was a, um, was a wonderful segue. But, I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but however, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, kind of slot a little brackets in. And I think, I know you've talked about it a lot, but it would be great to talk about the 100 marathons um, mm. barefoot just because it is a little bit of a kind of out there one. And I think it's probably worth talking about what that was like as an experience and where that came from. And Yeah. Do you know, um, that is, uh, it, it is the adventure that was, it's the most amazing one I've ever done, but equally the most difficult mentally and physically. So those two things are just both ends of the spectrum and it's really, I'm trying to write the book on it at the moment. And it's so hard to write the book to get across to people because I get asked the question, was it fun? And I go, do you know what? It was not fun trying to run 100 marathons in your bare feet. It was not fun. But was it amazing? Oh, my goodness. It was it was amazing. Like the connections I made, the people, like there were days that were fun. There were days that were amazing. But there was a lot of hard stuff as well. Um, and it purely came from that idea to try and, I wanted to do a long run. I wanted to do it through Britain because it was all to do with talking to the girl guides and talking to young girls. And I thought, what what am I going to say to these young girls? And what, you know, what have I learned through the last few years of my adventure and what would I've said to my teenage self? And it was all about feeling basically when you feel 50% terrified and 50% excited, that is the right, that's that sweet spot. That's the place where you want to go in life because that's when, you know, you grow and you learn stuff and it, it's hard, but it's also awesome. And so I was saying that to them. And then I thought, well, if I'm if I'm being honest, if I go and start a, a hundred marathon run, and I'm wearing trainers. Um, I think I could do it. 
which might sound arrogant, but I just had to be honest with myself that I actually thought I could probably drag myself through that. And then I just had a crazy thought of, it's just a little voice. Why don't you do it with no shoes on? And I thought, that's ridiculous. I can't do that. And then it was, maybe I can, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And then I was going to do 50 barefoot marathons. And then I was having a cup of coffee with my boyfriend, Jamie, and, um, <laughs> and he said, well, about 100 sounds better, doesn't it? And that was it. I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head then. Well, it's that simple. Oh my God. It's just, and this is the thing about having a partner who does crazy stuff as well. He just, just casually listened to my ideas, sat back and went, yeah, I like it. I like it. But a hundred sounds better. A hundred barefoot marathons is better. And I thought, you're right. You're so right. That's it. <laughs> Done. And did, so you just instantly commit? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, course, funny, like I'm having the feeling now of like that feeling of, oh my gosh, am I going to do this? And, um, yeah, I did. I just instantly went right. This is it. And I, the first thing I do was I emailed girl guiding. I told them, um, I, I think I told a couple of other friends cause that's what you do. Start getting it out of your mouth and it becomes reality. And then I, I actually left it the latest I have done to announce it on social media because I was, I a, was still not quite, I knew I was going to go through with it, but I wanted to make sure that my, my training had been uh, heading in the right direction because I, I knew that you and all my other adventures, I've just kind of not trained very much and just got on a bike. I trained for the run in uh, New Zealand, but I didn't train for my cycling adventures. I just got fit as I went. Whereas a barefoot run, I thought if I, if I don't take this seriously, I'm actually going to end up injured and not be able to do it. So um, I just wanted to make sure my, my feet were in a good enough state to at least start. And they were. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is that like where you just sandpaper your feet and then, you know, clean them up? <laughs> Do you know what? I did email a friend and I was because I was trying everything. Surg Everyone says surgical spirit. And it didn't doesn't work at all. Um, and funnily enough, the only way to get your feet used to running barefoot is to run barefoot. Who knew? Um, oh, my gosh. Revelation. So basically, there's no shortcuts. I even read loads of books about barefoot running. And funnily enough, that didn't really help because... It just you got it's like reading a book about how to run it's ridiculous um so i uh, i i messaged a friend who i know had done some barefoot stuff and she said to me you need to go and run on hot tarmac because that will really harden your feet up so it was a bit extreme but i didn't like the british winter anyway so i went to new zealand for five months and ran around on hot tarmac in christchurch and in the hills <laughs> and uh it works it toughens up your soles you don't do things by halves do you <laughs> no and I think that I think uh naivety is a beautiful thing I think I get myself into some situations where I think oh my goodness why have I done this but I'm so far in by that point I've got to go through with it so I think a lot of people get stuck at the oh the thinking before that um and so I just try not to think too much enough enough so you're safe but then just do it but why do you need to do it that is a really good question, right? Um, and I've thought a lot about this because now I've got Storm and 
I'm thinking, do I want her to do the stuff that I've done? And if I'm being completely honest, and you said you wanted to go deep, um, I, th I think we all have our own reasons, but I think when people are doing this hard stuff, they're trying to prove something to themselves. And um, I think for me, growing up in that Olympic environment with my parents as Olympians, there's a real pride in my family on physical and toughness and sort of never giving up. And to the point where that's what makes my parents proud of me, you know, not that they would explicitly say that, but that's our family thing. It's like, we're tough. This is what we do. We don't give up, you know? And, and so I think I just kept trying to go, well, can I go a bit further with that? Can I go a bit further than that? Where is my breaking point? And now I've done all these adventures. I realized you actually, if you've got that mental resilience, there's no breaking point. All that happens is it gets harder and harder and harder and it, and it becomes a bit less, sort of fun and you just go do I want to go to that point again like I know I can but I don't I don't want to um so why do we do it I think everyone's it's you're trying to prove something you're trying to prove something either to yourself to a to a family member but ultimately we're we're all trying to prove something to ourselves I think. yeah and you said we're going deep but so I'm going to give you a disclaimer with this question that like I am so on your team here and this is a question not a yeah. statement but how do you think that any of it is proving something because you didn't make the Olympics? Oh, 100%. Yes. So that was, I should have made that point, actually. That's, that's your, your bang on. It, I was trying to, um, because I still at this point now, I mean, I have Olympians like that email me. I've got friends that went to the Olympics that come to me for advice about adventure stuff and whatever. And I still can't believe that these Olympians are asking me, you know, what, what, like, because Olympians to me are on this pedestal, right? Just like my parents were. I never made it. I wasn't good enough. And so I guess I've got to carve my own path. But to me, I, not now, but it, oh, quite a lot. I'm like, I would always have rather have gone to the Olympics because that is that is the thing. That is that means you are the best. And I still get so emotional. I love watching the Olympics. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is trying to give myself a sense of I am I am good enough. I am fit enough. I am strong enough. Um, even though I didn't make it to the Olympics. But isn't it mad? Because. You talk about, and I totally believe you, you know, we're proving it to ourselves. Like some people are quite clearly trying to prove it to the world. I think you are yeah. trying to prove it to yourself, but why do we need to? Oh gosh. And Matt, that is the most dangerous question to ask because now, and Jamie, you know, my other half, he's run across country, like run across Canada, run across America. And sometimes I get worried that now I, I, I see it in full light. I see what we do and, and I go, but why would I want to do it? Can't I just like sit around and just drink some tea and whatever? But I think if it's ingrained in you and if it is part of your DNA, which I, I, I do believe, you know, and call it nature, nurture, whatever, it's a lot of both, but I will never want to stop pushing my body because I, I get like, it's like drug, it's like a drug to me. I just get high off like going, oh my gosh, my body just did that. That's insane. Or, um, and just, and experimenting, I guess, you know, kind of playing around with, with, what I'm capable of. So I don't think we need to do it. I think it's about making a decision of what you what you want to do then once you've had the realization of why you're doing it. Um and so I think all adventures will be about want rather than this kind of compulsion of like I have to do this. It's quite exciting really. Talking of putting your body through trauma, um yeah. you have a baby. 
oh my gosh, yes, we have a baby. <laughs> we have a seven-month-old baby. Ah, uh, yes. I've only got a five-month-old, so that is, you are with me on the sleep deprivation train. Yeah, well, my wife is, I, I, I would hate to do her a disservice, you know, she's a, she does a oh, lot Oh, she doing the nights? Oh, yeah, good woman. I did it for three months and then I broke and we now split the night, basically, that's the only way yeah. it works. Yeah, we'll get there, I think, in the not-too-distant, but yeah, so how, well, I mean, what changed? Well, um, we, what, to want to have a family? Yeah. Yeah, we, um, well, I think you, you, when you meet someone that you, I always wanted kids, I have to say, I always felt like, um, uh, you know, I always felt like the ultimate version of me is a mother. I'm not quite, I'm not there yet. Absolutely not there. I'm definitely half a shell of a woman at the moment. But um, I always had that feeling that I wanted to be a mother. And um, Jamie said he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't really bothered about being a dad until he met me. And then it's kind of like, you want to, you want to create a little something with someone else. So we always knew we were going to do it from quite early on in our relationship. And, but we just wanted to get the big adventures out of our system first. Um, so that's what we did. So it was a bit of a three year plan. And then I can't, you know, I'm so grateful it actually worked out because obviously it doesn't for a lot of people. But um, uh, yeah, so it was it was fully planned. It was fully like, let's yeah, let's go for it. Let's start this family. And then again, it's this whole new adventure of what on earth does our life now as adventurers look like when we've got to consider and put first our seven month old and she absolutely has to come first. So um, that is a whole new realm that we're in and we're working it out. But um, yeah, that in itself is is uh, amazing and hard, and it's like an adventure, isn't it? Yeah, and are you working it out, or are you still in the kind of what the hell place? Oh no, we're still in the no. I haven't. I haven't. I am. We are working it out, but we haven't got to the place of like, ah, oh, okay, this is what this looks like yet, because she changes all the time. So, for example, this morning I took her out. She just wakes up at like any time between half four and half five. It's horrific. Um, but I took her out in the running buggy, and oh, it was amazing because I've, I've taken her in the running buggy a few times. But it's always been the daytime, but to be like running down the streets at like half five in the morning, sun's coming up. She's loving it. She's smiling away. That is, that that's really awesome. And so I think we're getting glimpses for me. I'm getting glimpses of what it looks like, either little adventures with her um, or when she's old enough, little adventures um, apart or perhaps with like one of us in tow and the other one doing the adventure. Um, so we haven't got to the point yet of, working that out so we're definitely still in the process of it um but I'm definitely less I don't know I'm ever afraid but I'm definitely less like attached to it has to be this thing I'm more like do you know what if, if having a kid tells you anything it's like you cannot try and have a plan because as we said it is chaos absolute chaos and if you try and pin chaos down you just get really frustrated so um we're working it out but does it feel like you've got to stop doing the big stuff uh for me a hundred percent yeah I think for both of us we said um there's no I, I mean there is no way I'm going off on a six-month adventure there's no way I'm going off on a three-month adventure as a as a mother I just I I can't you know we're both quite sensitive people and I just I like I would wrench my heart out to leave her for an extended period of time while she's this young um so I think it probably means longer adventures with her in tow or maybe a shorter adventure when she's a bit older. Um, and that is the way, yeah. But I know people do it differently um, and then they feel differently and they have different reasons for doing things. So, but just personally, um, we've, we've, it's the end of our long solo adventures 
but the start of this other um and actually it's more accessible to people you know we're doing all these smaller adventures which are actually much easier for other people to go and do themselves and so i think there's this whole other realm where you're actually potentially you could get more people outdoors than going and spending six months cycling across the country yeah no i, I totally buy that yeah i mean does it feel you said you know you are done it sounded, it sounded a pretty definitive response with the big big long stuff solo long stuff yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah do you grieve for that then or do you know i i that's a really good question uh yeah um i i i don't grieve for it but i look back with such fondness and appreciate now that the absolute freedom that you have before having a family and um and i just if anyone is listening to this and doesn't have a family yet oh my good just please go and do it. I'm so grateful that I went and did it and got these big adventures out, you know, out, not even out of my system, but had the time and the space to be by myself and to get to know myself with no one else to think about. And I think that has set me up for being a much better mother and Jamie, a much better father that we know ourselves. And therefore, you know, we can, we can see all of our own, I'm going to say, shit. you know, we can see all of our own crap while we're parenting this little thing who's this blank slate. So um, uh, I don't grieve for it, but I look back on it now and go, oh, my goodness, to be on a road for six months, and just wild camping at the end of it and llamas all around you and oh, volcanoes and flamingos. Yeah, and we'll get there again. It will just be family adventures. I think that's it. I, you know, there's that I think there's that special window when they're like toddling about until they go to school. You yes. can actually go and do quite long missions. Yes. Yeah. Are you going to have any more? Yes, we are. We're going to have we're going to have another one. I think. I think I'll be we'll be done at two. So fingers crossed, we can do the do the double. Um, yeah. I used to want three, but having had one, I I'm just like absolutely no more than two. <laughs> Is that you? Yeah. Is that what yeah. you said? I was up for four or five. I just I love the <laughs> idea of having like this, you know, football team following round and yeah. practicing. Yeah. And now I'm thinking, well, yeah, two's good. <laughs> Two's good. Well, also, I really didn't enjoy being pregnant, which is an unpopular opinion, it seems. But um, but we're not, you know, a lot of people said to me, thank you for saying that, because I, I don't enjoy it either. And I think as an active person to suddenly have this thing take over your body um, and and become the priority is really, really difficult. So um, I only want to do pregnancy once more. Thanks very much. <laughs> what I, i'm i'm very i don't really ask people what you know what's next i just think you know let's talk about what's been done because then there's something to actually discuss but how yeah. are you approaching i think it's different now with you like how are you approaching future adventure yeah i mean my next dream would be to do and this is crazy is it this is my dream like to do a multi-day run i would love to do a run along like the southwest coastal path or something for like four or five days where i'm running all day and Jamie's in in the camper van with Storm and they're coming and seeing me at like little pit stops for lunch and whatever. But maybe I'm on my own, maybe I'm with friends, but I'm able to do like a hundred miles over a, few, over a few days and that I have this sort of adventure um, on British soil, but my family and my baby's there as well. So I'm, I'm fulfilling her needs, but I'm fulfilling my own need for adventure. That is my next dream. And then I think if you can get that down, there is just so many of those you could go and do in the UK or whatever. And then as she gets older, I think we'd love to do things like cycle to Amsterdam with her, you know, get her on the back and the little the cargo bike or whatever. Um, so I think the adventures are just going to start small and then get bigger and bigger and bigger um, and see how much mummy and daddy can destroy themselves and 
and uh, get exhausted, but while looking after the child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and finding that balance, I guess. Yeah, that sounds sounds like you've um, made some good plans and decisions. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard though, isn't it? Because you 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 cannot be selfish anymore. It's like it's just, and you, I realise how how indulgent adventure is in so many ways, which is a wonderful thing. Um, um, but yes, there 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 really is no choice. She is not asked to be brought into the world. We've done it to her, and um, she's amazing. So she's got to come first. Yeah, and so I wanted to ask you this right at the start, actually, because you were using the word adventure a lot, and obviously you know, we do in our profession, but what do you think about that word? Um, I love the word adventure. I don't like how, like, some hotel chain used it in an advert. And I was like, that is not an adventure. You've got, <laughs> you've got in your car and you've driven down the, well, you know, it, I think it gets, it's got very popular in the last few years, so it gets grabbed. But I think that's fine because I think adventure is just about, going and doing something with with like with your eyes wide open and going somewhere new and experiencing something different those two things and that can be anywhere right that can be you know your local park or or the other side of the world i think that's what it is um one word though i just i think gets overused is epic there's not many things that are actually epic so can please can we stop calling everything epic because it's not <laughs> yeah yeah that's it yeah like myths and legends you know zeus was epic Oceans are epic. Yeah. Oceans are epic. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Like going to your local co-op and buying a strawberry milkshake is not an epic <laughs> adventure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think adventure is a word, you know, I, I think sometimes it's like you, you want to go, no, there has to be this to be adventure. But I think as long as as long as it's used to get people outdoors and enjoying nature, I'm all for that. So humour me, and I'll try not to run yeah. away too much with this. So what is an adventure? And what is an expedition? Oh, God. That's a really good question because I would say I definitely do adventures and not expeditions because expeditions to me are, they have to be highly planned. They have to be, um, they're usually doing, like we talked about first, but I feel like they're usually more exploratory in terms of geography or there's there's an underlying mission that is scientific is what I think or it's a, like a trek to the pole to be the first. Whereas adventure, I feel is a bit more like just going out there, messing around, having a good time, learning some stuff. Um, I feel like expedition is a bit more serious than adventure. I feel like if I was to go on an expedition, I'd just get told off a lot. <laughs> it's my <laughs> personal opinion. <laughs> because I'd be like, oh yeah, we've got, we've got enough food for three days or five days, whatever. And then, and then I'd run out and we'd all be in trouble. God, that's fascinating. Because I mean, I would categorically call the hundred marathon let distance. You know, that's an expedition. That was complex that's interesting, logistics, isn't it? right? Yeah, I, I think of expeditions like you know, like Shackleton, like Ranulph Fiennes, like just more, I guess, less. Um, you know, on Barefoot Britain, I'd finish a run, and yeah, I'd be exhausted, and whatever. But I'd yeah, I'd, I'd run into the local spa and, and buy a packet of McCoys and have a sausage roll. So you know, like you sort of go. Is that an expedition? And that's why, but that's just my perception of it, isn't it? You know, it's like an expedition to me is like a like a real like a like an old style journey, like a real going somewhere. Um, but who am I to say? That's just my perception of it. 
Well, no, that's why I'm asking. I mean, the dictionary definitions of these words, I feel like they're just outdated, antiquated. They don't I don't even know what the... What is, what is the dictionary definition of adventure or expedition? Uh, Do you know? I can't remember verbatim, but um, yeah. it's all a bit... It's a bit, you know... I mean, the implication is men with beards going and conquering something <laughs> or planting a flag. and That's what I mean, that, actually. Yeah, that's... yeah. That's why I'm I'm kind of Trojan horsing my way into a point here by asking, which is it comes down to accessibility because I think like yeah. we've been championing adventure. I say we, as in the royal we, for a yeah. while now. People like Al and people like yourself, you know, getting people outside and doing interesting things and thinking, oh, maybe I can go camping in a field, mm. and that's something I could do. But I I don't know. I guess I'm really conscious or keen to like champion this whole idea of an expedition because. It feels yeah. like something that's so inaccessible for so many people, but really, yeah. Or expeditions sound expensive as well. They you do, know. they do. Yeah. yeah, that that's what I think. I think you're going to need a load of funding. Like you know, I just think like Antarctica, Everest. Like you know, unless you've got someone that's going to give you a whack load of money. Um, but but yeah, and I totally um, hear the point as well about accessibility and I fully accept that I am a white middle-class woman um, who's had those opportunities but I, and sometimes I get bogged down and thinking oh you know is this just all um you know is it all just kind of what's the word I don't you know am I just in, am I just talking preaching to the converted kind of thing you know we only reaching these numbers but then I just think do you know what if a load of other white middle-class people get out and enjoy nature and look after the planet then that's not a bad thing either so I've just got to start with what we know Really, it's a pyramid scheme, isn't it? It's like, you know, yes. if I if I encourage what? 250 people to go outside and they collectively encourage three people each. That's it. Can't feel things. And, and that's where I feel like, you know, it's cheesy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's where I feel like I can help. But that's what we all want is, you know, we talked earlier about why we do it. And all of us just want to leave some kind of legacy, not, not in a kind of really... Um, uh, historical sense but in just that we want to have felt like we've we've made a slight difference in our time tiny time on the the big globe in the sky yeah maybe added more to the world than we took away oh gosh don't i'm trying not to especially with a baby nightmare i had a meltdown i spent 45 minutes trying to find a sustainable changing mat and then jamie came in and i was crying this is when i was pregnant and emotional it's like what's wrong i was like I'm going to kill the planet by buying a changing mat and I can't find one. Yeah, and it is. It's incredibly difficult. It's a nightmare. So I always close with two specific questions. Um, okay. Interpret them however you choose. Um, what scares you? Oh, that's a really good question. What does scare me? Um, what scares me is missing out on opportunity, ah, missing out on opportunities, but in the sense that I have missed an opportunity to go and do something awesome, be a more awesome person, um, take life in a new direction, um, which is weird because I never regret anything. So actually I don't have FOMO. Um, but I that's what kind of drives me forward is I is I spend a lot of time going oh if I don't do this will I do this and, that? and then um in the end I just have a flap and then get on with it um so I find that a little bit unsettling I'd say more than scary and then um god do you want to go really deep on what really scares me this is horrendous my when my parents pass away 
Like, I know that sounds horrible, but that is the thing where as they get older and as I get older and I just think they're the most precious people to, to if you've got parents or carers or whatever. And I just think I know that is going to be a really hard point in life and um, and I'm not looking forward to it. So I don't try not to think about it too much. So sorry if I've just made everyone else think about it, but I, I have to be honest. It's good to talk about the hard stuff. It is, it is. But that's life, isn't it? It just, it just it moves on. It does. And it's hard and it's scary and it's difficult and got to hop the hurdles. That's it. Yeah, hop the hurdles. I was always rubbish <laughs> at hurdles at school. <laughs> oh, don't. I once, um, I once came last in the 800 metres at Sports Day so much that they'd started packing up. And that, that's <laughs> oh, not no, an exaggeration. in an 800? Yeah. What were you doing? What were you doing I around was... those laps? Egg and spoon race? I know. I was so bad. Anyway. Um, it is a silly distance, the 800. It really is very silly, you know. <laughs> um, what brings you hope? What brings me hope? Oh, the younger generation. My goodness, they are fueled with climate change and and assertiveness and voices and unaf- they're unafraid to speak out and to challenge authority and they bring me hope. And I see that through girl guiding. That's why I got back involved with girl guiding because if you ever watch a girl guiding advocate on BBC News, they are just terrifying. Um, and yeah, they're, they're not afraid to challenge um you know, governments and things. And I just think that's a really good thing. You'll be enrolling Storm then. Yeah, yeah, I will, definitely. She's going to be a little <laughs> feminist. Brilliant. <laughs> Ace, right, we'll leave it there. Thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information, follow us on Instagram at The Adventure Podcast. The podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and is a Terra Incognita production. If you want to get in touch, then you can email us at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk.